We continue our sermon series on some of the great questions of the Bible. Questions are good for our faith. They are good for us to do individually and together. Questions help us to go deeper. They cause us to think, to, to explore, and to grow. In this morning's text, Peter will ask an important, honest question to which Jesus responds by telling a story, a parable, a parable that is only found in Matthew's gospel. The parable will begin with the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. As a way of helping disciples to learn something about what Jesus means by kingdom. Kingdom of heaven is Matthew's code for the reign of God on earth. The kingdom is both a present reality and a future expectation and hope. There are mysteries about the kingdom of God and they arise because the kingdom is present yet not all in its fullness yet. The inauguration of the kingdom by Jesus has already taken place. The kingdom of God has come. But it will not arrive in all of its fullness until Jesus returns to make all things right. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew. It's a longer reading. I'd invite you, if you have a Bible or would be willing to read using the Bible under a chair, to turn to page 800 if you're using the Pew Bible. This is Matthew 18, beginning with verse 21. The word of the Lord for us. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave? as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you 
if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. May we breathe deeply the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Remind us of your amazing love and grace for the sake of each other and for your world, we pray. Amen. Many mountain climbers regard Italian Walter Bonatti as the greatest climber of all time. In 1954, when he was 24 years old, he was the youngest member of the Italian climbing team that became the first in the world to conquer K2, the second tallest mountain in the world after Everest. Wikipedia says K2 is known as the Savage Mountain due to the difficulty of ascent and the second highest fatality rate among the 8,000ers for those who climb it. For every four people who have reached the summit, one has died trying. But when Bonatti died in 2011 at age 81, his New York Times obituary focused much of its attention on a controversy surrounding the 1954 conquest of K2 that dogged him for the rest of his life. Although two members of the Italian team reached the summit of the mountain, Bonatti himself did not. He and a porter were responsible for transporting oxygen tanks to a camp at 26,000 feet where they would meet the other climbers who would be waiting for them. Then together, the entire team was to make the final one-day ascent to the top. However, when Bonatti and his porter arrived with the oxygen tanks at the agreed-upon location, no one was there. Bonatti and the porter had to spend the night camped in the open where they almost died from the cold. The next morning, leaving the oxygen tanks in the snow, they rushed back down the mountain and the porter lost fingers and toes to frostbite. A few hours after Bonatti and his porter had left the oxygen tanks, the other members of the team appeared took the tanks and proceeded to the summit in mountaineering glory. Later, Bonatti accused them of deliberately missing their planned meeting place on the mountain. The others denied it, and the Italian Alpine Club sided with them. From then on, Bonatti did much of his climbing alone rather than with teams. And for the next 50 years, the controversy over K2 lingered in the climbing community. Then in 2004, one of the Italian climbers who had reached the summit of K2 essentially admitted in a book that Bonatti's version of the events were true. In his own book, The Mountains of My Life, Walter Bonatti wrote, my disappointments came from people not the mountains. Indeed, forgiving others can be more difficult than climbing the world's tallest mountains. 
the difficult work of forgiving someone a debt they owe you. This whole section of Matthew is concerned with life in community. We are created for community. We are created for relationships. Therefore, Jesus addresses issues that destroy community with a very well-known one being unforgiveness. Jesus, how often should I forgive? In his response, Peter likely thought he was being generous. Rabbinic tradition at the time was three times. Rabbis considered three times sufficient for forgiveness of the same sin. So Peter doubles the standard three exemptions, add one, adds one for good measure. He knows Jesus likes to think big and says, forgive as many as seven times, thinking surely this will impress Jesus. But Jesus replies, I'd like for you to consider something more in the neighborhood of 77 times or seven times 70, as you will find in some translations, which really means this, forgive your brothers and sisters beyond your ability to keep track. In fact, if you are keeping track, it is not really forgiveness <laughs> at all. To reinforce the lesson, Jesus then tells a story of a king settling debts with his servants. Jesus uses hyperbole to get the point across. It's a confounding parable. Jesus says that a certain servant has racked up a debt equivalent to thousands of lifetimes worth of wages. A debt too great ever to be paid, no matter how much time he has given, both the servant and the king know this to be true. Knowing his whole life is about to be crushed, the debtor begs for more time, more patience. To everyone's surprise, the king responds with compassion. In fact, the servant receives something he didn't even ask for, a wholesale forgiveness of his debts. The liberated servant leaves with a whole new life available to him. He then comes upon a fellow servant who owes him something. The debt of the fellow servant is microscopic compared to what the first servant has been forgiven. Yet the first servant forgets the mercy that he has received and neglects to pass it on. This enrages the other servants. Then the unthinkable happens. The king takes back his forgiveness and has the first servant thrown in jail. Jesus expects his followers to show mercy as they have received it. As Lewis Smedes once put in a burst of alliteration, forgiveness fits faulty folks. Forgiveness in this parable is both an extravagant and precious thing. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. It's a prayer that we must pray with searching of heart. The church is meant to be a uniquely forgiving people who concern themselves with the speck in their own eyes rather than the planks in their neighbors. But isn't this so hard to live out? Let's continue to wrestle and think together about the profound topic of forgiveness. 
Clinical studies have shown that forgiveness boosts your self-esteem and lowers your blood pressure and heart rate. Forgiveness also helps you sleep better at night and encourages positive changes in your attitude. Forgiveness is love's toughest work. Forgiveness is almost unnatural. Our sense of fair play tells us that people should pay for the wrong that they do. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We have the power to forgive what we still do remember. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Lewis also wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Dumbledore says, people find it easier to forgive others for being wrong than being right because we don't like to admit when we are wrong. It's important to know what forgiveness is not. It is not glossing over. It's not tolerance. It's not denying the hurt. It's not ignoring the deep pain of those who have sinned against us. It does not mean we don't take evil seriously. How do people forgive? Slowly. Forgiveness takes time. It's a journey. The worse you've been hurt, the longer it often takes to forgive. Forgiving is freedom. You forgive freely or not at all. You can't be forced to forgive. We can't erase the past, but we sure can learn from it, and God can heal the pain the past leaves in its wake. Why is it sometimes so hard to forgive? Maybe someone close to you has betrayed you. Maybe someone has slandered your reputation through gossip. We all have wounds and we end up carrying around these things that people have done to us sometimes for years or even a lifetime. My maternal grandfather and his brother Phil had a falling out due to a failed business venture, a family-owned co-owned and managed grocery store that they did together. I never once heard my grandpa speak of his brother and I never got a chance to meet Uncle Phil. My grandfather harbored unforgiveness in his heart toward his brother for over 60 years. There have been consequences and debris in my family because of lingering hurt and the excess baggage that comes with unforgiveness. I expect the same is true for some of you. God created us to be free. Freedom is at the heart of God's message. God has forgiven us all our sins. When we forgive someone, we give to someone what God has given us, undeserved mercy and grace. It's not just about clenching our teeth and remaining silent while still bearing ill will toward another in our heart. You give up your desire for retaliation. The self-control implied here is most definitely a supernatural work of the Spirit, which sets another free, and it sets you free too. 
Maybe our resistance to forgive is rooted in our resistance to believe that we ourselves can be forgiven. Some of us are carrying heavy baggage of guilt and regret. Many of us have secrets too shameful to tell. What act of betrayal will you still not forgive yourself for? Is it time to finally be set free? Jesus tells Peter and other disciples what forgiveness is like for those who have encountered the kingdom. Church, forgiveness is a lifetime work, two steps forward, one step back, but it is the direction and the tenor of our whole lives. Two weeks ago, I spent the better part of a week with my dad in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a bit of a heritage trip for my dad. Last year, when my dad was downsizing, he stumbled upon a picture of my maternal grandmother holding my mom when my mom was just a baby. And as my dad would later say, something about looking at that picture of my grandmother holding my mom, it caused him to think about his own mom for the first time in a lot of years, which was the beginning of my dad's journey to try to find where his mom was buried. My dad has no memory of his mom. She died in childbirth with her fourth child. The baby died as well. We thought my dad was two years old when that happened. We learned a couple of weeks ago that he was actually three. My dad's father, my grandfather, who I have never been particularly proud of, he was unable to handle the crises of his wife dying and he abandoned his family putting his five-year-old son and my dad, his three-year-old son, in an orphanage in Kentucky. My dad never heard from his father again. A one-year-old brother of my dad was taken in by some family member. My dad um, never connected with that brother either. It was a profound and most meaningful trip. We began the week at the Filson Historical Society and had the gift of pouring through original documents from the Protestant Children's Home of Louisville, Kentucky. I marveled at how many original documents still existed. We found pictures of my dad and his older brother in two places in a commemorative book from a 100th year anniversary. The superintendent journals were amazing. I could have spent the whole day reading them. Month after month, a superintendent wrote a, a journal entry highlighting the health of the children, donations made by the community. People were definitely bringing things like fresh vegetables to the children's home. I learned how they celebrated birthdays and learned a few things uh, about my dad's health, some things that happened to him along the way, the fact that he had his tonsils removed, he had no idea. To my surprise, they had the original admission form filled out in my dad's father's handwriting. Putting his two older children in the home in 1942 where my dad would stay until he graduated from high school because he was never adopted. 
I learned my grandfather was a woodworker and a member of a Lutheran church. I looked at that form for quite some time, trying to imagine how it would feel to fill that out and to relinquish your two children to the care of an institution. We learned dad's baptism and confirmation dates and the name of the pastor who baptized him. I saw my dad's junior high school and high school, the church he attended as a child, as well as a movie theater he would run to after he finished his chores on the weekend because the owner of the theater let the orphans see films for free. We have known so very little. It was incredible to have some of my dad's story filled in. Our second morning there, I then had the honor of being with my 79-year-old dad as he stood and then knelt by the graveside of his mom for the first time in his life. I was surprised to discover that my grandmother, who had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and who died trying to give birth to another child, that when she died, she was 23 years of age. On the last day of our trip, I asked my dad if he had any forgiveness work that he needed to do with his father. And I think really I asked him that because I was beginning to realize, and I confess this to my dad, that I am living with some unforgiveness in my heart toward my dad's dad. My dad, however, harbors no ill will toward his father, which I find to be remarkable and frankly hard to understand. Grace beyond imagining. Whenever you see this kind of radical forgiveness, the kingdom of God is near. Friends, we celebrate today those among us who aren't currently burdened by a mountain of unforgiveness, that's really important for us to do. However, if you are in a place of wrestling in the area of forgiveness, I wonder if there is someone else in this community of faith that you can share that with. Let's pray for one another so that we who have received undeserved mercy might be able to give unmerited grace and mercy to others. Part of our life work is to tell the truth about the times when we have been forgiven and the work that we are doing to forgive another now. Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Pray with me. Merciful God, give us the grace and the capacity to live with mercy toward others. Forgive us our debts as we strive to forgive our debtors. We desire to be able to be generous with mercy and grace just as you are with us. Come, Lord Jesus. Release us 
Set us free to live with joy and freedom. Give us the grace to live your gospel. We pray for this for each other in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people indebted to grace. Together we say, amen.